accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called In the Pale Moonlight. The 19th episode of the sixth season aired on April 15th, 1998. Teleplay goes to Michael Taylor. Story credit goes to our old friend Peter Allen Fields, who recently passed away a couple months ago. Directed by Victor Lobel. Or Lobel. In this episode, with mounting losses in the Federation Dominion War and the specter of defeat, Captain Sisko enlists Garrick's help to persuade the Romulans to join the Federation Klingon Alliance to win the war. Sisko unwittingly learns that to save the Federation, he may have to sell his soul and the values that Starfleet stands for. We're joined by Clay, who is dancing with the devil in the pale moonlight. How are you? Never rub another man's rhubarb, Wes. No. Absolutely. Uh... <laughs> Gene Roddenberry is rolling in his grave after this episode. Holy shit! Yeah, he's he's a he's a little bit um distressed. They they probably didn't pitch this one to him as he was on his deathbed. He died he died a couple of years before this one, so there's no. This is I I heard this is what killed him. Yeah, <laughs> they had the uh, the treatment for this one well in the uh, in the can about six years earlier, and he was told, and he was very very upset. But it is um. You were surprised to learn that they're actually referencing the Batman movie, uh, The Dance of the Devil in the Pale Moonlight. Which, at first I thought, like, oh, maybe that's just a general idiom, I guess. Is is that the word? I don't know, phrase. Uh, But no, apparently it is just a reference to the Batman movie. Yeah, I think the Batman movie actually made it up. It it sounds made up. I mean, it sounds like it's a thing, but also it sounds made up, so I, I... it wouldn't surprise me if it's it's not something that actually exists outside of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a long time coming. We're finally in the pale moonlight, and uh, I'll go further into that point after we take a break. I'm going to play an audio clip, and me and Claire are going to come back, and we're going to break down in the pale moonlight. That was my first moment of real doubt. When I started to wonder, this whole thing was a mistake. So then I went back to my office and there was a new casualty list waiting for me people are dying out there every day entire worlds are struggling for their freedom and here I am still worrying about the finer points of morality no I I had to keep my eye on the ball, winning the war, stopping the bloodshed. Those were the priorities. So I pushed on, and every time another doubt appeared before me, I just found another way to shove it aside. So these can kind of be um, tough episodes, I think, Clay, because since we started uh, DS9 mm. two years ago, actually, this Saturday, oh, wow. we're, we're recording this Seriously? on a Thursday, and our, on Saturday, August 17th, Clay, is the two-year anniversary of starting DS9. For these things, can you believe? I mean, not even that. We've been doing this for like five years. Yeah, of, of yeah of uh, Star Trek, I guess, since the start. But yeah, certainly podcasting for about five years. So it's pretty, pretty remarkable. <laughs> it's almost like we're fighting our own Dominion War. But um, you've been hearing about Pale Moonlight ever since we were doing first season episodes because people would tweet at you or they would say in the comments, "I know mm. you don't like episodes like Move Along Home or Babel or." 
visionary or not visionary, but whatever, whatever the hell else was going on in the first season when the show was trying to find its feet, uh, people would say, just wait until the pale moonlight comes along. And so here you are after two years of this and two years of people mm. saying, just wait for the pale moonlight to come along. Um, do, uh, without talking about the quality of the episode, did you, do you, what's it like to be know of an episode that's coming up and then to get to it? Uh, honestly, I wasn't really paying that much attention. If I'm, if I'm being completely honest, sure. um, you recognize the I, title. Yeah. Um, only, only because recently I feel like it's popped up a couple more times. I, now that you say that, I, I remember people dropping it every now and then, but I didn't have it like marked on my calendar right? Um, that I was like, Ooh, this is the one everyone's talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. So it didn't really, didn't really cross your path. So you, you approach this as basically a brand new, uh, just a somewhat generic episode. We, we knew going into it that this is considered to be one of the better ones. And I feel like I'm kind of even blowing it up now, but I, I was just wondering if you, if the, um, the expectation of greatness can sometimes interfere with like how mm-hmm. you receive things like this. It's when, when people mm-hmm. talk up movies and stuff and then you go see it, it always feels like a letdown because it doesn't match the fervor that the people were talking about it, uh, with. Yeah. And I don't know. What would you think about it in the pale moonlight? I thought it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I thought it was great. I thought it was really good. It's, it's like duets. It's not. It's not the best. Yeah. It's not the worst. It's just somewhere comfortably in the middle of 178 yeah, yeah. episodes. No. Uh, yeah, I thought it was really great. Um, it's uh, the structure of it. I think was the most interesting. Interesting to me because it it's it's a structure that um, generally shouldn't work as well as it does here. Because uh, recounting stuff in flashback like this can can seem kind of uh, cheap, but I think what makes it really work is um, the fact that Cisco is doing it as a personal log entry, so he is being incredibly honest about it, and then at the end, he erases the entire thing. I think that's what makes the structure work so well. Right. Is um, – because if if this had if they had just done this uh, if it was like uh, Cisco um, debri- getting debriefed by his superior or something it wouldn't have felt that unique but um, the fact that he's doing it as a personal log kind of talking essentially directly into the camera uh, for for a lot of it and then at the end he he gives you that that left hook of you know I can live with this computer delete uh, now I'm sure my thing delete that whole uh, com- personal log. Yeah, com- Computer delete the whole personal log. I I just thought it was great. I mean, I think that makes that makes the structure more of a gimmick. I mean, sorry, less of a. Let me just responded. Um, my my Alexa answers to computers. So anytime I say it, it, it lights up. So if I if it seems like I'm whispering the word, it's I'm trying not to activate it. Um, yeah, I thought him him deleting at the end makes the structure less of a gimmick and more of of it actually having a point to why they used it. And whether or not that the case, that's the case, I don't know because it is it is a it is a good gimmick to tell the story. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a really effective use of that sort of structuring. And uh, I I wasn't really surprised by the story. Sure, but I think what they did, I was surprised that they did what they did. If that makes sense. Like everything that they did felt like the right move to do in a way that I wasn't expecting them to make the correct move. And that's, that's no, 
that's no swipe at them. Well, maybe it is a swipe at them, but they were making the right move in that story in a way that I, that I feel like they don't usually let them do in, in, in a, in a, in a show like this. Yeah. Um, the, the, the big, the big two being, um, Garrick revealing that he blew everybody up and, and <laughs> that was his whole plan from, from the start. Yeah. Sort of. And, he, it, uh, it was his backup plan. It wasn't his main yeah, it was plan. His backup it was his plan. backup. Yeah. Yeah. It was his main plan, but it was also his backup plan. It was, it was like, you know, I don't want to have to do this, but this is what I'm, uh, this is what the plan is. Yeah. Um, and the other one being the, uh, uh, the, the, the deleting of the log and, and the, and the admission of being able to deal with the guilt of it. Um, I don't, I feel like those are two things that you're not generally going to get from two main characters on a Star Trek show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's probably peak DS9, I think. Uh, I, great use of Dax too. I thought, I thought the, uh, that, Devil's Advocate scene with with Cisco and Dax. I thought that was great. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I have. Um, that's a that's a good point to kind of jump off into my. I, I'm 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 sort of I'm not conflicted about this episode, but I think that there's like for all for the praise that it gets, I think that I probably have a couple nits to pick. Like I I don't think it's sublimely perfect in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, but I think that it's what I do think it does is that I think its script is top notch. I think that oh, they. Yeah. Yeah. I think the way that they build and escalate everything throughout the story as they're cutting back and forth uh, to the flashback or the present day uh, tense of Cisco talking to his log is really, really mm-hmm. good. And yep. everything here, like, the, I think the biggest thing about the script is that it's one of those episodes that felt like it could have been one of those things where we complain that it's too big of an event for a Star Trek episode. And sure. you kind of lose track of how big. Uh, or like you kind of lose things because of the the scope is too much for the Star Trek episode to get across. And I think the script really gets around that by building so effectively where every single decision that Cisco makes as he's trying to get this goal of getting the Romulans to join the war effort is a little bit of a sacrifice that keeps building and building until he gets yeah. to the final one. And yeah, it's, it's not like at the beginning of the episode, he's like, Hmm, what do you think I could do to get the Romulans involved? Like it's it, that's, that's, at the bottom of an avalanche of stuff that he's been dealing with. And you, and you feel the weight of all that. Right, stuff. He, the, he doesn't the, open it with who do I have to murder around here to get some uh, <laughs> right, Romulans right. involved in this? Because he, he starts with sort of innocent enough. Let's get the Romulans involved by sort of talking to them. And then we'll, then we'll trick them and then all these mm-hmm. things. And then we'll, unfortunately we'll get to the end of it. But I, I think that's the greatest accomplishment. I think that it has a few weird issues. The, um, the tax scene, I always, I always feel that Terry Farrell misplays it slightly. She's, she sounds a little bit too sensual in that scene where she's, <laughs> she's talking back to him. It's kind of like she's not a Romulan senator or more like she's a sex phone operator or something or a phone mm-hmm. sex operator. She, mm-hmm. she plays it a little bit strange. And I, and I, I kind of just because of the ending, I kind of had the same thing about Avery Brooks's final performance here, uh, the final scene with him. And we'll talk about that, but. I think it's really strong. All of my criticisms comes from knowing this episode sort of backwards and forwards and being very familiar with it and how, like how well it's regarded and everything like that. But I think it just, to get it out of the way, the script is just the, the main attraction here. I think it's written by yeah. Michael Taylor. Uh, it, it was a story that is nothing what Peter Allen Fields pitched, but he gets a story credit. Mm-hmm. And um, it's they really also strong. said, uh, cause I actually did a little bit of looking up on this one for once. Uh, apparently Ron Moore, 
completely reworked the entire thing. Yeah, he did the final draft uncredited. Yeah. It was originally supposed to be a Jake Sisko Watergate's Shikar story. Yeah, which, you know, fuck that guy. (laughs) And then then it was going to turn into Jake uncovers what Garrick and Sisko have done in this episode. Uh, that was yeah. the sort of second draft that they moved into. That's that's kind of interesting. That 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 changes your structure a little bit. That makes it a little bit more like uh, Citizen Kane or something, where you've got someone, you know, getting stories from other people who are then telling it, and you know, you've got this unreliable narrator thing probably worked into it. I think that's a different episode. It is. They they ultimately yeah. decided that they. Uh, for what we've been talking about, the Cisco and Jake relationship is too strong, and no one believes that this would happen between the two of them yeah. as they were working yeah. on it. So they ended up with what they ended up with. But I think I think it's also I think it's a good distillation, taking a good idea and just distilling it down to the essence of what you're going after. Yeah, you know, yeah, because the the uh, the the Shakar thing, eh, no one cares. No one gives a shit about that guy. Right. Uh, we haven't seen him in forever. Um, I thought he was dead, he's a, honestly. <laughs> yeah, he's a peripheral character at best. Yeah. Um and it's it's only going to make uh Kira annoyed. Um and the thing with with uh Jake, it's like you're you're getting closer, but still you're not what what are you driving at with the story? It's not you, you're not looking to get all of this uh twisty twisty um route to reveal what actually happened you want to get to the core of of the consequences of the actions yeah well the, the and jake in order thing to do that it, sorry go ahead you yeah. have to i was just gonna say in order to do that you just have to deal with cisco what he did and how he feels about it yeah the, the jake thing just adds a layer that overly complicates what's going on yes. because then yeah. you've you've if you do that jake story you go well why are cisco and garrick doing that and how is Jake going to react to learning this about his father? Yeah, it's it's exactly. too much yeah. for a forty minute Star Trek episode. So, and do you think do you think that he would actually come clean about it, Ben Cisco? Yeah, in, at that point in that know, in to, that Jake Cisco version of the script. Yeah. Yes, I think that they would hash it out and have a kind of yeah. Jake learns what it's like to be man as he learns that his father has done some nefarious shit to win the war, yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, but I prefer this. I prefer Cisco keeping it a secret, and only he's he's the only one that knows about him and Garrick know that what actually happened. Um, yeah, I, I I think that why I think it works is it's pretty much the peak DS Nine uh, pinnacle of what DS Nine is trying to go for. And it's funny that this comes right after Inquisition because they're kind of the same idea uh, as each other. Yeah, I have some other thoughts about Star Trek Discovery again okay. that we can save for later. <laughs> we'll focus. We'll focus on this on and come my, into Discovery, I guess, in a little bit. Yeah, which piles on to my idea that I to the the thing that I postulated last episode. I think it continues through this episode. Well, do, do you want do you want to say that and then that we can bounce that into how DS Nine handles it? Maybe that's the best way. to Sure. Go about it. Yeah, like I can't help wa- watching this and not thinking like, well, this is. Not entirely dissimilar. I mean, it's not the same thing, but it's like I I can imagine the writers of Discovery watching this episode and going like, yeah, what if we had our guy? What if we had our main character jumpstart a war? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the same kind of. It's it feels like it's dabbling in the same arena, but they they didn't bother to uh, really get into what any of that actually means. Uh, in the same way, or in the last episode. It's basically the Ash Tyler storyline, uh, except 
not except the Ash Tyler storyline is a literal literalization of of what they did in Inquisition. Right. Um yeah, and it just it just makes me feel like there was a chunk of episodes that they watched and referenced but they didn't take the right things out of it. They took the exciting elements out of it, but they didn't take what those elements mean or why they worked in the uh the DS9 uh uh universe, you know? Yeah, I mean the reason I think that this episode works is that it's been five and a half seasons of Cisco to this point. Yeah. And we, we've had we've had three seasons, three or four seasons of Dominion activity, and we've sort of learned everything that's been going on uh, in that realm. And the the thing about the thing about this one is that it really just highlights the difference between Cisco and the other captains, I think, where Cisco is Truly the opposite of Kirk, I think. He is the, where Kirk is the kind of larger than life, like mythical figure that is always going to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Cisco is the most realistic of the Star Trek captains, I think. And you could say that DS9 is probably the most realistic of the Star Trek series just because of how the things that it's talking about, like how it decides that it wants to handle these things. But I think that Cisco handling this is a purely Cisco way of going about things where he and I think that what Avery Brooks does the best is he does sell Cisco's conflict about it more than um more than he sells certain other points that I think we can get into later. But he's the Cisco the Cisco approach to this is a very pragmatic, um honest way that I think like Kirk would never have stood for any of this. Like he would have moralized about like what's gone wrong and everything like that. But Cisco's approach to it is much more of a, this is a pile of shit that keeps getting bigger and bigger. And then at the Mm -hmm. end, I'm going to have to reconcile and deal with it. Yeah. I I don't know how Picard would deal with this. I don't know what his reaction would be to this, honestly. I I think Picard would, Picard would accomplish the same goal that Cisco did. But at the mm -hmm. end, he would talk to other people about how it was a great failure that this is what they've come to. I think that's, do you think, do you think he would go about it the same way? No, he wouldn't go about it the same way. I, I, I could see the same event coming out of it, but it would be that Garrick would have tricked Picard into yeah. Into I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, also, it's funny that uh, <laughs> it's funny that at no point in Star Trek Insurrection does uh, Deanna Troy mention the invasion of Beta <laughs> by the Dominion. <laughs> it's another. It's another. It's like kind of a big deal. It's another great. Um, point though like they they gave us a planet that we actually know that mm. was conquered in this episode and it gives you a stake yeah, so like, and it just adds to the script i think the script like they keep hitting that point of the casualty casualty reports they keep coming back to that every time cisco thinks that like he has a um a setback he gets another casualty report it like result yeah. it like steals him to continue going on with what he's doing and the fall of beta zed is the final thing that convinces him he has to do this because the dominion are knocking on the door of the core planets at that point and um, it, it's good to get a reference to a planet that we know and not like Mixolania 4 or something like that, that you have right. no idea what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, or the planet of the fishhead people or right. something. Right, exactly. Big Fleetwood. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like it's. It, I, I think that the, the, the troubling thing about talking about this episode is that it's kind of making a similar point to a lot of recent episodes that we've had. Like there's... There's nothing mm-hmm. original in terms of the theme that they're talking about. It's really just how far they're going to push Cisco and the sort of um, 
the build and the relentlessness and what I think is its greatest accomplishment is maybe just they don't reverse it to a Star Trek morality thing at the end. Yeah. There is no Cisco saves the day by doing the right thing. Um, you get a rare moment of true honesty from Garrick, who explains like, listen, idiot, like <laughs> these are the things that we have to do to accomplish the, uh, the goals that we need. And then Cisco having to deal with the follow-up. But it, it's, it's brave of the show. And I think it shows it's black sheep, uh, poorly rated self at this point where they're willing to do an episode like this. Yeah. I, I was, um, my initial thought was that, uh, the story was going to end up being that um, whatever Garrick was doing for Cisco ended up flaming out, but it ended up um, being the means to an end of something that Garrick was trying to get done. Uh, like he specifically was trying that guy who was in jail, who ended up doing the holographic thing was someone who wronged him or something. So it was his way of, 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 uh, uh, using using Cisco to get this guy out of jail so he could kill him or something like that. You know, I but I I I didn't think they were really going to go that way because of the way Cisco was talking about everything. I was like it's got to be something more intense than that because more that's not really him. That, yeah. Yeah, and that's not that's not really that big of a failure. I mean, it is a failure obviously, <laughs> especially after you've gotten a guy out of jail, gotten him killed, uh gotten Quark stabbed yep. and then paid off Quark a bunch of money and you know X Y and Z and 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 you're just really uh digging your hole deeper and deeper but um I was glad they didn't go that way because it was it 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 makes Garrick I mean he is this kind of character but they really leaned into the elements of Garrick that I love and I know I've talked about this a million times before I love the the character on the good guy team who you never you're never sure you can trust who always ends up more or less on the side of the good guys but you, there's always a little bit of doubt that he's going to do the right thing and if he does the right thing it's not necessarily in a way that lines up with the values of everybody else it's the uh, uh the um I, I I always reference uh uh Transformers Beast Wars cuz that was the first time I ever came across it was uh one of the Decepticon dinosaur robots ends up defecting and going to the Autobots side. And you have the Autobots who are these, you know, uh, prime examples of good guys. And then you've got this one bad guy who's like, yeah, I'm on your team, but I'm probably going to stab some people while you're not looking. Yeah. You know? I, just, I just like the, I just like the other guys a little bit more than I dislike you. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always like that character. Um, there's a character like that in The Walking Dead that they killed off and didn't use in that way, and it made me really upset, and that's why I stopped watching the show. <laughs> well, that's not true. It just wasn't a very good show. But, um, yeah, I, I thought Garrick was great. Uh, I, I had mentioned – I think I've mentioned it on the show. I know we talked about it off air that th it's been very Garrick light in this season. Yeah, you, you and, even mentioned uh, missing. I think we have not seen him since the Occupation arc when he was on The Defiance with those guys. Yeah, but uh, – Garrick, Garrick is back in a big way in this episode. And I, I, you know, I don't entirely remember his role in the occupation arc. Um, was he was on the ship with them, right? Yeah, he crashed on rocks and shoals. He was on the planet with them. He was basically on the defiant with them as they were flying around yeah. in that story. I, I prefer him more in this role where he's not going out on missions with people, but he's doing the shit behind the scenes and whatnot. And, you know, you have to show up to his tailoring shop to punch him in the face yeah <laughs> um i really like i really like his use of use here um is this the episode is this episode the one that that people were pointing to uh 
as a, as something that would make me like that other that first the the Garrick telling the truth or not telling yeah, the, the truth. Yeah, the wire story. I mean, this is kind of a pinnacle Garrick. If you think about it, a lot of the best Garrick episodes are him being paired with one of the main cast members. Uh, there yeah. was the the two parter where the Romulan and Cardassian fleet got destroyed was pairing him and Odo together. And then when mm-hmm. they're in the prison planet one where they get captured by the Dominion, it's a Worf and Garrick story together. Right. And well, I mean, they're all very sense. strong. Yeah. 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 It makes sense because, you know, the strength of this series is not, Hey, look at this ethos that Gene Roddenberry created. Isn't it amazing? It's taking that ethos and just bending it to the point of breaking. Yep. And he's the perfect character to do that because, and I mean, this episode is another great example. Cause you know, like, like, like I think we said last episode, uh, Ben Cisco, even though he seems like he's a renegade is, is the, is the, is the proving ground generally for, for the, uh, the Starfleet ethos. Yeah. You know, he's, he's at the end of the day, he is a Starfleet character and he is going to, to, to follow those rules and, and follow that, those morals yeah they've kind of and, stopped doing it but he he's constantly referencing the uniform a lot of a lot yeah, of his concerns yeah. are about the uniform there's the, the thing where he he screams at eddington you betrayed your uniform he had the one with uh the guy who joined the maquis who said i didn't recognize you without your uniform he's very much still a starfleet captain uh even, yeah even as he is ben cisco and this is a great episode as far as 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 pushing him and bending his his uh, uh his beliefs because even in this one, he Garrick gets him to do something very un- – well, I mean technically all of Starfleet agrees to do it. That was the one thing I kind of thought was weird was I was like this – it feels strange that Starfleet signed off on this. Like it, it feels like it would make more sense if it was completely secret. Sure. Um, the, the, you know, Starfleet's the, only signing off on lying to them about I know, the data I know. rod, right? Yeah. But ev- even that, like I, I feel like that is – underhanded enough that gener- I think traditionally Starfleet would not sign off on that. Sure. That seems a, that seems a little bit out of character for them. Uh, but that being said, you know, Garrick comes up with this idea that's very underhanded. He gets Cisco to co-sign on it, which he then gets Starfleet to co-sign on it. But even at that point, Garrick knows that that isn't enough and that Starfleet or, or Cisco doesn't have – what it takes to do what needs to be done. Yeah. I and also so like he, that um, to tie into that, the uh, Romulan ambassador uh, also has lines about when he's talking to it. He's like Starfleet doesn't basically, he basically says Starfleet doesn't have the balls to do what needs to be done uh, yeah, to Cisco. Yeah. And it, it's all of these characters who are operating on the, the understanding of what Starfleet will do and is, uh, is not willing to do. And then flipping it, to the surprise of every, which is why the lie works for everybody because they can't believe that Starfleet would actually do this, and that's what makes it so effective in what Cisco does. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I, it's, it's a really um, effective uh, uh, corner that they paint Cisco into, where Garrick does lay it out for him, and he's like, "You, if I told you more or less, he's more or less, he says, if I told you what this, what I was going to do, you wouldn't go for it. You don't have what it takes to do this." And Cisco, essentially, in so many words, says, "Yeah, you're right. I know this is the right thing. That's that. This is the thing that needed to be done. I did not have the balls to do this. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's it's a really well, did, and, did, I, and, I, and I don't mean that as like a." Uh, a knock on him or anything, but it's just, that's part of 
his uh, rationalization, or maybe that's not the word, but uh, his summary at the end is is more or less him being like, "Yeah, I didn't have i i couldn't I couldn't have done this. Garrick did it, and honestly, I'm okay with it." Yeah. Do you th- do you think it's fitting that Garrick did the dirty work here, or is it a cop out in a Star Trek way where they can't have the main character do that? I, I personally think that. It's more effective this way. It feels like it would be. I think so. I think it would be traditionally seen as like kind of a cop out to have. You'd be like, oh, of course, they have the character who's shady is going to do all the actual shady uh, business here. But I think they do an interesting thing of hinting. Garrick has a line of you knew what I was when you came to me in the first Mm. place. Like, so Mm -hmm. how are you going to sit here and claim to be surprised by me doing what I knew that needed to be do uh, needed to be yeah. done. There's a reason you came to me in the first place. Yeah, it, this uh, that stuff and uh, the section 31 stuff in the last episode reminded me of uh, there. Uh, there was a revamp of the comic book X Force a handful of years ago, where they turned um, X Force into basically the Wetworks division of the X Men. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was I, – I remember reading some some issue of it and someone – it's a team made up of uh, Wolverine, Archangel, Psylocke, basically the hard-edged, you know, ass-kicking guys. Sure. And there's this other character who just watched all of them just slaughter a bunch of bad guys. <laughs> and this, this other X-Men character is like, how could you – how could you do that? How could you just go in there and kill all those people? And Wolverine's like, look at this team. What did you think we were going to be doing? Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, you guys put this team together. You sent us out there. You didn't send us out there to bring people back. You know, we're you not don't the put, talkers. You don't put Wolverine, you don't <laughs> put Wolverine and Archangel on a team so they can go arrest people. <laughs> this is, this, we're the doers, not the talkers, I guess. Yeah. The way about it. And yeah. I, you know, I think that's, that's a great little bit of, of, of character work too, is it's like, yeah. He could have gone to a lot of different people, maybe not in the cast that we know, but he could have gone to a lot of different people, but he went to Garrick. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a sign Ooh. of the, the desperation of the times, I think, and everything the, for Starfleet. Another element that's really interesting, that's not really a story element, but I just find it fascinating. Uh, there's been a couple episodes that we've looked at, you know, 20 years on and seen how it was, as sci-fi tends to be either on purpose or by accident, oddly prophetic. Um, mm. what they essentially do here is they create a deep fake, which yeah. is something, <laughs> which is a new technology that's <laughs> popped up in the past few years Yeah, that th- the number one thing people say about it is, oh, they might be able to fabricate video and audio of world leaders and start a war. Yeah. That's exactly what they do. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's basically fake news is what Cisco yeah. is passing along yeah. to, uh, why can't I remember the Verdique or something like that? I'll, I'll look it up. But they're they're basically passing along fabricated video that is imperceptible, except it is perceptible for some reason because the guy goes, "It's a fake." Yeah, um, that was I thought for a second that that was like a dream or something because that was pretty that was pretty over the top. <laughs> there's um, it's a fake. There's a, there's a YouTube cut of uh, that guy saying it's a fake, just cut up against. Um, Benny Russell going, it's real. And it's basically like a 20 minute YouTube video of just him going, it's real. It's a fake. It's real. You know, it's, it's, I'm surprised that guy went that big with it because I thought he was great. Otherwise that actor is, um, I, I can never remember his name, but I know him as, uh, I know him as, as, uh, uh, not Lance Henriksen. 
Okay. He's in a lot of like movies that I feel like people <laughs> wanted Lance Henriksen for, but they couldn't get him, so they got this guy. They'd have the salary for him. Yeah, yeah. That's a good. Exactly. That's a good call. He's Canadian. I know the actor. But yeah, he's Canadian. His his name yeah. is Vreenak in this as the Romulan. Also, let, let, we can touch on that. We haven't seen the Romulans in a long time. It felt good to see the Romulans for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I I was thinking about that too. I think it goes a long way to uh, um. Double, well, not double down, uh, to reinforce the breadth of the Dominion and what they're actually doing. Because, you know, uh, so much of this is off screen, you know, and, and we don't have any point of reference other than people talking about it. Even the even the, the casualty list thing, it's like, okay, yeah, we don't know who any of these people are. We're just watching people be sad. Yeah. Uh, it, it's It's tough to really get a handle on that stuff. So when you've got a another race that we are very familiar with coming in to deal with it. It's like, oh, okay, this is this is definitely something that has wide reaching um consequences. Yeah, it's it's unprecedented, right? There's never been a moment these are the Klingons, humans and Romulans are three sides or they're three angles of a triangle that can never get together. Right. That's like right. been the, the whole thing throughout the entire series since TOS and TNG. And it's kind of unprecedented and as you say, it just it shows the threat of the Dominion in a way that the show sometimes has trouble doing it just by saying that these three groups are now working together to try to stop something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's good to see the Romulan. Like the 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 show never really the series never really knew what to do with the Romulans. They were kind of just a better idea that they never really knew how to flesh out. And there were some really terrible Romulan episodes in TNG. And hey, they went a long way to fleshing out the poor, awful, terrible fate of tasha yar that's that's true they, they did exist and they fulfilled their purpose there they're um i'd say they're like it's it's nice to see, see them in ds9 but we haven't really seen them except for maybe a handful of episodes in this series but they they are um i was just kind of thinking how we used to say that gynan was a reboot like a version 2.0 of troy eventually mm-hmm. like the writers are like let's just kind of really redo this character I feel mm-hmm. the Cardassians are kind of a reboot of the Romulans in a lot yeah, of ways. I can like, see that. They're sort of similar, but they're just more extreme in what they're willing to do. And it's kind of a shame that they never really flesh out the Romulans because they work well here. I think they're 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 a kind of species that um, is different enough from everybody else that they feel like they bring a unique voice to the table, even if they're somewhat poorly defined. Yeah, the Romulans always feel like. Uh, um Actually, it's literally what they're used for here. They always felt to me like they were they were a species that got used or referenced because it was something that people knew, but that was about it. There was right. not really a lot to it. Like in in uh, Nemesis, it's like oh blah 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 the Romulans. It's like oh yeah oh yeah the Romulans. We've never seen them deal with the Romulans. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. why do, why do we care about the Romulans? <laughs> we we don't really know anything about them. Uh, they have a sentence, but we know we yeah. know that we know that they're they're a thing, you know, uh, yeah. and that's literally what they're used for in this episode. But it actually works works really well here. Yeah, their bodies basically, which was which yeah. is why it works in this one. They have ships. We know that they fight, and that they're, even they're in fearsome. fucking Nemesis, they're only there to get blown up, right? Yeah, and they, then they then every, the whole rest of the thing <laughs> takes place on Remus or whatever. Yeah, no, it's it's true. The and I I, I think that like. The the scene the scenes with the Romulan senator actually stick out to me because I think it's nicely written where he is shown to be a person who pays attention to the details because he's talking about how he can tell that the drink is fake that he's drinking. Yeah, um, it's just yeah. nice touches like that. Like you, you, the the it doesn't do these 
fairly too, unfortunately too common thing of Star Trek where the senator would sit down and go, you know, I'm an expert detail analyst. <laughs> like that's my job or something. <laughs> and so anything you try to pull on me is going to be uh, not worth your, not worth doing. And they do it more I subtly know here. which parts of my wives are fake. <laughs> they do it more Just subtly by here. by looking at them. By uh, introducing, you know, some synthetic Romulan ale and he can tell the yeah. difference and then yeah. he goes off. It's a, it's a nice like artistic touch to the script. Yeah, it's, it's a great – I don't know if you'd call that foreshadowing. I guess you kind of would. Um, I mean it's a, it's a great way to subtly do that stuff and that's honestly – not that common for a show like this. Yeah, yeah. And I think they just, they really pack a lot into the um, runtime here. Like a lot of events happen. Quark gets stabbed. The They meet the Romulan senator. Uh, we, we I love learn, the moment where Cisco uh, physically attacks the computer programming guy, which I think is a big turn time. 98th rule of acquisition, which is the million dollar man rule, which yeah. is everybody's got a price. That's right. <laughs> We we learn a lot about it. It's um, it's interesting, and I think that the 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 bigger point about it is that it's a it's a DS nine episode that takes the Spock uh, the needs of the many outweigh the yeah. needs of the few, and it mm-hmm. turns it into something else. Where Spock saying that and sacrificing himself in Wrath of Khan is a very TOS version of what that saying actually means. Where Spock doesn't harm anybody else, he. He sacrifices himself in order to um, save the day there, saving the many by losing himself. However, that the saying to me is actually more about what Cisco does here, which is how mm. are you going to hurt other people to save more people than the ones that yeah. you hurt? And I think that that's, the, that's actually the tougher ethical dilemma, I think, for any of the characters like Spock's. Spock's death and the way that Spock approaches it is a very TOS thing. It's very much like this is the hero. He's going to do the hero act right here. He's going to die and then be resurrected as a hero story. And Cisco's is more about um, this is the right thing to do, but we've been raised in this environment that you've been telling us this is the wrong thing to do. You can't do it this way. And then how do you deal with the fallout of that? And you seem to imply, I think, at the end that – you thought Cisco had talked himself into it. I don't think he has. And I, if I have one major criticism of this, I think that Avery Brooks doesn't play the final scene correctly. And I think it hurts it a little bit, but uh, you can go off of any of that. We can get more specific into what I'm talking about with Avery. Well, I, I don't think he necessarily talked himself into it. I just think he's he's just stating... I think he's just using the whole thing to get it off of his chest and just say it out loud mm-hmm. so that he can kind of deal with with the uh um the guilt and whatnot and uh kind of examine it on his own cuz I mean like honestly that that sort of scene at the end or I I honestly like the whole thing like I I was saying uh at the beginning generally they would do something that like this that would be him talking to um uh, being debriefed yeah, or something, Admir- or the Admirals way would be coming in and listening. Yeah, to him. the way that this would normally go would be the first eighty percent of it would be him talking to an admiral, and then after that he'd be talking to Dax, and that's when the last scene would happen where he would say to Dax, "Blah blah 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 blah." The thing is, I can live with it. Roll credits. Right. You know, that's my, the, the, the thing that's most surprising to me is that I've learned I can live with. Well, yeah. Yeah. Done, yeah. Um. But. I think that undercuts what they're doing here, which is him 
not having anybody else that he can talk to about this because it's so clandestine and underhanded that he has to get it down on paper, basically, if only so he can destroy it afterwards. Yes. I see. I I guess my, I'll specifically hone in on a minute here. At the very end, he repeats to himself in a couple different ways, I can live with it. Mm -hmm. And I think what I think the script is trying to say there is he's trying to, he's basically trying out that phrase. He's trying to make it sound like he actually means it. And Mm -hmm. I think that Brooks's performance doesn't sell that enough. I, I think he comes across as a little bit too, too much of the opinion that he is okay with what he's actually done. And I think yep. that Cisco is internally compromised and broken at that point. Like he's, he, he does not actually believe that he can live with it, but he needs to tell himself that he can in order to continue. And I don't know yeah, if Brooke I, sells that. I don't disagree with you because I do remember thinking his reading was a little weird. Like he, him repeating the line did feel different than the way he actually said it if that makes sense like he puts a different emphasis on the words each time he says so he's he's kind of like an actor running through his lines about how he's going to make it sound most effective saying this thing yeah like like his reading of it is is very much like him saying confidently that he can live with it but repeating it as even at, at the time i was like that feels like he's reading it wrong or like that i feel like you don't have him repeat that in the script on the page because he's confident about it. I feel like you repeat that because he's specifically not confident about it. Yes. So he's, I guess he just made a choice as to which one he wanted to play. He did. I, and I, I think it's in contradiction to what the script says about it. even the way he, he like defiantly crosses his legs at the end and kind mm-hmm. of sits back. His body language is wrong there. He needs to be sort of leaning forward, head in hands, thinking about what he's done. And it's yeah. it's not that the body language he has is this very confident, like I'm on a date with somebody, like he throws his <laughs> arm over the couch and crosses his legs. First date with Ben Sisko. Let me tell you about how I got the Romulans into the war. <laughs> Sit down. This is going to take a minute. I, and I, this is a great episode. I feel it kind of deflates it a little bit at the end there. It's, it's just a little bit wrong. And I wish it was, it was, it's one of those episodes I wish I could just reshoot in a different way. And yeah, I, I think it's tough though. Cause, cause I think he is making a choice, but I don't think it's necessarily up to us to decide whether or not he made the wrong choice there. Because if, if Avery Brooks feels that Cisco is confident that he can live with it, then that's how he plays it, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I understand what you're saying. It, it's a very, it's a very subjective acting kind of thing. Um, but, but do you think Cisco, as a character, can live with that? What he's done, like I, I think the, the way that I interpret the Cisco character is that he can live with it. However, mm-hmm. he would be upset to learn that he can live with it. Yeah. I would believe that, yeah. So to to me, his ending personality there should just be kind of a shocked dismay at what he's realized about himself. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think it's just sold wrong. It's sold too sure. confidently. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. Because you, I don't know what it says about the Cisco character if he's just like, you know what? That actually wasn't all that bad. I can, I can do right. this all day. I'll, I'll go out there again and I'll do this exactly the same thing. His line about... I would do this all again exactly the same way is more about he realizes that he's done 
the right thing at great cost to himself. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, um, do you think in uh, Inquisition, that you remember how we were talking about the scene at the end of Inquisition where he's like, next time, you must become a spy because how do these people operate inside of blah, blah, blah. Do you think that episode would play differently if it came after this one? Yes. Specifically that element, because at that point, it's almost like, you know, he doth protest too much, you know, (laughs) where it's like, how could they do this clandestine back channel stuff? This is not Starfleet. We don't do that kind of stuff. You know, Cisco, you really uh, really have some opinions on this thing we just found out about. (laughs) That's a good point. If they they had flip-flopped the episode order, it completely destroys Inquisition, how people are going about things. Like, how... um, just the character reactions to Inquisition, I think, don't make a lot of sense at that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going to go, this is Star Trek, so we're going to kind of reboot the Cisco character after this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like he continues to be a broken man for the rest of the war or anything, but this is just a, I think this is just the pinnacle of what the war arc for the Dominion has shown. It's, it's taken the captain character, who is the main, you know, quote unquote main character in the Star Trek series, and broken him down in a way that they did with Kirk and they did with Picard. And this is the way that he is at this point. When do we find out he's been replaced with mirror Cisco? And that's why he has such of an edge now. Uh, that'll, that'll come in discovery season three. I think when they go to the future and Avery Brooks is there for some reason, you know, uh, you mentioned the thing about Spock and, uh, the needs of the many, I was thinking the exact same thing. And, uh, it actually reminded me, uh, a, a long time ago. Well, it wasn't that long. Uh, I was talking to you about a story that I wanted to pitch to to IDW for a Star Trek comic, uh, which is never going to happen, so I might as well just talk about it here. Mm-hmm. And my idea was basically to uh, to look into Spock's last mission before he leaves the Enterprise, which would – so it would take place between the end of the show and the beginning of the first movie. And the idea that I had was Spock is presented with essentially this kind of situation – um, but he he has to he leans on the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the the few, but like on a much larger scale. So it's like he ends up destroying a planet in order to save a galaxy. Maybe not that big, but that kind of idea where it's right. like he's not just killing himself or just killing one person. He's killing a lot of people to save even more people. Kind of like kind of like what they play with in the, in the uh, the one flu over statistical the probabilities. Episode. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. So um and so it 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 allows Spock to really lean into the logistics of it which is yeah on paper obviously that makes sense and um but how that ends up affecting him and driving him back to Vulcan and into the uh, uh uh the total wiping of his his humanity that never quite clicks for some reason which then adds makes the his eventual sacrifice in in Wrath of Khan a little bit more poignant because he now approaches the same question but from a more personal uh uh um humane avenue than yeah. just and he sees why he sees now why one makes sense and one doesn't right. essentially yeah yeah no it's 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 an interesting um it's an interesting ethical question about where the line is there. And there's obviously yeah. like no right answer to it, but I mean, well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a weird, I mean, it's not a one-to-one, but it's kind of like that thing. That's that stupid joke 
uh, I think they said like Churchill would say or something where he's like, uh, w- would you, sl- would you sleep with me for $50? And he goes, no. Well, how about a hundred dollars? Like, no. Okay. What about a million dollars? Yes. And go, what about $500,000? Mm-hmm. And it's like, no. What do you think? I'm a whore. And he's like, well, we've established you're a whore. Now we're just haggling on the price. <laughs> you know, it's like, what, what is the, what is the ethical line that makes it okay? Right. Yeah. Th- no, that's a, that's a good analogy. It, it's the, I don't know if it is, but, but it's certainly <laughs> it's certainly down the line, and you got to say whore. But I, yeah. I think that um, you know that's always on my list of things I want to say on this show. <laughs> the it's an interesting it's an interesting quagmire, just because what is wrong? Like, like I, I guess that the. Just to think about like what's the wrong thing there when you do something like what Cisco does in this episode, which will in the long run has achieved your goal of doing. It's really just the it's really just the fact that you it, it's this I guess it's this weird like micro and macro economics of morality where mm. it, on like when killing one person feels extremely personal, even if you save a million people over it like the the, the scale yeah. of like relativity doesn't go up yeah. and down with it like accordingly so th- like the the interesting thing about the quagmire is that like if this was if this was a spock episode and not cisco spock would kill the romulan ambassador you know what i mean like yeah. yes. there it would be a totally different thing if if you replace cisco with that but the humanity of killing this guy who's not even a likable guy interestingly you know like they mm. they don't mm. do a thing like cisco uh, walks down to see the Romulans. He doesn't even see the Romulans leave, which is interesting. But like, you don't see. He doesn't see like kids, Romulan kids on the ship or anything like that. Like, there's no, mm-hmm. there's no innocence at all. It's just this guy who is a pro Dominion Romulan, and he feels bad about what has happened to him. It's it's yeah. just a very interesting like moral thing. And as a viewer, you agree with him, but it doesn't. When you when you kind of look at it closer and closer, it gets harder to really even justify why. You feel bad, I guess. It, it makes you sound it makes you sound like an unemotional stone or something. But it's like the the logistics of it are very strange when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, I I would love to see Bashir find out about this and then just really have a conversation with Cisco about like, so this was okay, but that plan that I told you that we would have saved a billion lives if you had just done X, Y, and Z that was not okay. <laughs> You know, and and it's again, that's not a one to one, but it's kind of dealing in the same weird gray areas where it's, yeah, it's a, the, the personalization or the closeness of the, of killing one person, uh, can, can be much more affecting than a larger scale. Saving a million. Yeah. That's kind of an interestingly consistent character thing though, because I guess I would argue that Bashir is playing the Spock role. There, yeah. where Cisco yeah. in both of those episodes is consistently about we're doing this for freedom, like it's it's, it's consistently to escape the yoke of the Dominion is the rationale mm-hmm. for why they're doing uh, both things in both episodes, mm-hmm. and so I feel that that's probably more the driving force behind Cisco there sure. because he needs to stand as the antithesis to the Dominion, and Bashir is the interestingly up in the air character who's who's also the tng moral character but is also the one who's willing to say listen maybe we got to sacrifice a billion people to save 10 billion yeah can't can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs no. as the joker would say a few uh a few intergalactic eggs 
Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to talk about pale moonlight or should we go to uh, final thoughts? Um, I don't think so. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. I think it's, I, I think it's tough. Like it's again, I, I think I approach this podcast in a, in a weird sense of it's not that this theme is a completely out of left field for this series. So right. it's, it's not like right. you're stuck with a, like, where the hell did this come from? It feels more like it's the natural evolution of where the show was going and it's kind of the mm. pinnacle of where it wanted to go while it was uh, driving that whole five and a half seasons or whatever. So if there's if there's not a lot to say about it, I at least in this podcast, we talked for an hour as I say that, but it's really just because of that. I feel like it's more a evolution to something than it is a shocking revelation that you can't believe yeah. Cisco would do this. Definitely. And I actually, speaking of Bashir, I actually did really like that one scene that he and Bashir have where he's asking him to get that gel stuff. And yeah. Bashir's like, why do you want this stuff? And he's like, just, <laughs> I just want it. He's like, okay, I'm going to need that in writing and I'm going to file a complaint in X, Y, and Z. You know, I, I, I thought that was good. I like that stuff. Yeah. I was, I was a little surprised that there wasn't more of that and I'm not saying I want it, but generally I was a little bit surprised that they didn't have this, version of Cisco in this story bounce off some of his other more um, sounding board characters like Bashir or Kira or yeah. something. Or I mean, you get Dax a little bit, but that's before he really makes the decision. And apparently Dax is all for it. Yeah. He's well, he's, um, he's got to keep them in the dark, I think, which is important. Obviously. Yeah. 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 Like, but I'm, and, not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying literally go up to them and be like, Hey, I'm thinking about killing this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's, in in whatever state of mind he's in, having a conversation that's veiled, a veiled conversation, blah 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 blah. You know? Yeah, I, I, um, I think they he the script does an effective job of him being that character. You know, he, he the yeah. flashback sequence is allowing him to bounce his ideas off of his past self or his future sure, self yeah. or anything. So yeah. he kind of serves as his own counterpoint to a lot of what he's going through. It would be fun. <laughs> it would be really funny though to have a scene with like Kira and Odo. And and uh, Cisco, where Cisco's like, you know, I'm thinking about, and before he can even get it out, both of them in unison go, kill him. <laughs> He's a Romulan. It's a fake. Um, yeah, I guess we're done. Yeah, we'll, we'll take a break. We'll play an audio clip. Me and Clay will come back, and we're going to give our final thoughts about In the Pale Moonlight, and we'll also read some patron thoughts. At 0800 hours, station time. The Romulan Empire formally declared war against the Dominion. They have already struck 15 bases along the Cardassian border. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. This may even be the turning point of the entire war. There is even a welcome to the fight party tonight in the wardroom. So... I lied. I cheated. I bribed men to cover the crimes of other men. I am an accessory to murder. But the most damning thing of all, I think I can live with it. And if I had to do it all over again, I would. Garrick was right about one thing. A guilty conscience is a small price to pay for the safety of the Alpha Quadrant. 
So I will learn to live with it. Because I can live with it. I can live with it. Computer. Erase that entire personal log. Hey everybody, so if you enjoyed the content today, you can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. Give a couple dollars a month and you get extra stuff like podcasts, things like that. You go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. And also our Captain Tier supporters get a shout out at this point. So thanks go to Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Yarp, Joint Mango, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Tark Latif, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. We've got some patron comments here to get through, Clay. If you support the show on Patreon, you can leave your comments about upcoming episodes. We read them on the podcast. We've got a lot of them here today, so I'm going to start right now with Poindexter G. My dad would watch Star Trek with me. He was a casual fan, not super serious like me. I remember when we watched this episode. When it was over, he looked at me and said, that was really good television. I know that this may not be the best example of Star Trek's core values, but it's probably one of Trek's best hours of television. Dwayne Hackett says, I remember when I first saw this episode as a kid when it aired. The opening with Cisco directly talking to the screen threw me for a loop as this was the first time in all the episodes of Star Trek that I've watched that I felt they broke the fourth wall in a very major way and it worked for me. The story was engaging, the plot was fantastic, albeit predictable, and the characters responded in believable ways. I remember being very excited to see it on screen in every rewatch since, especially the line, I can live with it. It sent shivers down my spine and continues to do so to this day. This is by far Cisco at his best. Can I just say that I think what he said is not incorrect, but I think this episode is a really good example of why predictable is not necessarily a bad thing. Yes. I, um, I actually disagree that it's predictable, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I would use the word predictable, but you know, it's like, it's like I said, they make all the right choices. Right. Um, but I don't necessarily, I don't know if I would call it predictable so much. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, I mean, the the shock of the end is that Cisco does not do the Star Trek thing, right? So, like, mm-hmm. it's it's sort of unpredictable in that way. Like, it's, it doesn't end with the Star Trek wrap up in a bow and everyone's happy and the war continues, but we're all friends again, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I I think it's, I would disagree. This predictable, I guess. I did, I did, however, completely call that he was going to delete the thing at the end, right as he got to the end, and he was like, "Computer," and I and I just I just said under my breath, "Delete this." Record. Well, what, what did you? Did you spend the episode going, how is he going to deal with this private personal log? Was that ever something that came into your head? Like, why is he recording his crime involvement? Uh, it didn't occur to me going through it, but as they were wrapping it up, I was like, obviously, he's going to delete this. Gotcha. What's he going to do? Just, you know, leave it on the bookshelf? No, he's he's got to get rid of it. I think it's a, um, I think it's one of the great Star Trek endings, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, City on the Edge of Forever is one that I always think about the ending and stuff like that. I think Inner Light has a really great ending, but just the the cut to black and everything like that with complete d- delete that entire personal log, I think is really good. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, Anthony Alvarado says, well, I think it's a great, I do wonder, 
Can you watch this episode and only this one and still think it's great? Or do you really need to know about Garrick or the Romulans or the war? Is it a great episode because of how it fits into the overall arc? Either way, I think it's a classic app. Cisco is great. This guest stars are great. Garrick is even better. Favorite quote. I'll be along shortly to say hello. Samuel S. says, fantastic episode. Star Trek has always argued that the ends don't justify the means. This episode throws that argument out the window as we see Cisco doing or condoning anything that gives him an additional ally in the war he knows he will lose if he can't get more help. Five out of five. That reminds me, Clay. Mm. Inquisition, right? I think I think that I... I think I was kind of stumbling in making my point about what I thought about Inquisition, where I find uh, Section 31 strangely sympathetic, right? Mm. And I don't know if a lot of people after Section 30, after watching that episode would have agreed with that. However, doesn't Cisco just prove the points of Section 31 here? Kind of, yeah. So it's, it's interesting to me there that they, it, it's a kind of, Maybe it's because you're supposed to be seeing it through the eyes of Bashir, who's a different character from Cisco. But I think that for all of the sense that Section 31 is an evil organization, at least in context of Inquisition, Cisco in the very next episode does what a Section 31 operative would do in this case. Right. Right. It's just a. Well, it, technically, he doesn't. Well, no, I guess he does. Yeah. I, he does half of it. <laughs> he's, he's an accessory to Section 31, I yeah, guess he yeah. would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which is, I just think kind of a, an interesting twist, especially since they come so close to each other. Uh, Will Yates says, Avery Brooks gives a phenomenal soliloquy and one hell of a backhand. I loved Garrick's plan within a plan. He plays a great good guy with a dirty soul or he's a bad guy with a glimmer of hope. The pacing was excellent. And I have trouble finding a single wasted line in the episode. I really liked that Cisco didn't say a thing before Deck and Garrick. It made perfect sense. Quark's interaction with Cisco was everything I could have hoped for. For me, this was a great ending that had a hard cut to black, and it makes me wonder what else, how much else goes on that we never hear about. Andrew Cherlock says, in my opinion... Deep Space Nine, nights. <laughs> in my opinion, the greatest standalone Star Trek episode ever. Between the inner conflict of Cisco wrestling with his own ethics, Garrick revealing exactly how devious and heinous he is capable of being, the cluelessness of the rest of the crew, the moments at the end when Cisco convinces himself that I can live with it, this is a near-perfect episode from the first moment. In my mind, this is the official death of the TNG Starfleet until Voyager brings it back unsuccessfully, I might add. Do you, uh, jumping back a couple, um, he said, here he says it's a great standalone, which obviously it is. Uh, how, how do you feel about whether or not this, you could show this to someone who hasn't watched six, six seasons of it and if it still holds up? You, I think you, I think it, you can, and I think it does stand alone. I think it relies more on the context than a lot of the other great standalone episodes. Like you can, I think you can show duet as a totally standalone episode and people would go, wow, Mm -hmm. that's a great episode. This one, I think you'd get a lot of questions of people going like, what, who the hell are these people? Like what's going on? Like why, why do they care about this? I think the episode explains it all and everything, but you don't, because we've been sitting with the dominion for three seasons, I feel like it has extra oomph to it. Yeah. I I think it definitely helps that you've watched everything, but I honestly think it's, it stands pretty well on its own Um, because I think, Everything is so clearly defined. The stakes are so clearly defined and, and everyone's role and everything is so clearly defined that um, I think it's pretty easy to, to get the gist of what's going on. Yeah. 
Cardinal Doomsday says the second best episode of DS9 ever, and perhaps the one that defines the show. Picard would never do something this morally gray. Garrick is honest, Cisco chews the scenery, and the Romulans enter the war. That's a take. Four out of five. Is the best one the one where they go, the Ferengi go back in time? Or is it the one where they keep uh, teleporting into the closet? That one's a good one. Uh, we've got the the greatest Ferengi episode of all time comes later this season, actually. So you might want to revise. I feel that. like you said that about the last one. This is the 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 one that's coming up is like critically every episode, every Ferengi <laughs> episode is always the best Ferengi Ferengi episode, as far as Wes is concerned. Yeah, I want everyone who listens until we get to the Ferengi episode to tweet at Clay daily about the name of the episode, just so he's super aware <laughs> of what we're getting to. Chad Wiley says, I view this episode the way a lot of comics fans view The Watchmen. So many great series like The Sopranos and Breaking Bad came along after covering similar ground that a modern viewer might wonder what all the fuss is about. But I watched it when it aired in 1998, and it was mind-blowing. It was completely revolutionary for Star Trek, and I've never forgotten its impact, the impact that it had on me. So maybe it's a nostalgia talking, but this is the number one single episode of DS9 in my book. You know, the the Watchmen comparison is actually kind of interesting because I do, f- you know, I think that kind of plays into what I was saying about this and Discovery, where I feel like they watched this and they were like, oh, yeah, I love how dark it is and how morally conflicted it is and blah, blah, blah. We should do that with our show. But they didn't get what makes that stuff work, which is exactly what happened with Watchmen is everyone's like, yeah, love the dark take on superheroes. Let's do that. Let's everybody do that now. And it just it was all like bad photocopies of it. Well, for the most part. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you'd argue it's the, um, it's a very uh, Zack Snyder take on things. I think there, um, which discovery is the Zack Snyder star Trek series. Uh, I would hate to say that, but yeah, kinda. Yeah. Yeah. I get, that's actually a pretty good analogy actually. Yeah. Um, Chad Wiley's last thing here. Also, nostalgia aside, I don't see how anyone could not love Garrick and his element here. Eric Johnson says, and to think this began as a Jake and Shakar story. It became Jake and Sisko, and then just Sisko. Uncredited writer Ronald D. Moore explained the Batman title reference was that despite all their flirting with breaking Roddenberry's rules on ethics, this is the first time that they have danced with the devil and taken him to bed. A 24th century Federation human does something terrible, and he can live with it. I can't, man, it's just... It's so hilarious thinking that this started as a Jake and Shakar episode. <laughs> Termy says, this is my top five all-time favorite Star Trek. In my top five all-time favorite Star Trek episodes. I remember after it aired in 98, my brother looked at me and said, Star Trek captains can't do that. Picard would never do that. However, I worry the Kurtzman version the of Picard... The same your daddy Star Trek boy. This is not. However, I worry that the Kurtzman version of Picard is going to do some monumentally stupid, out-of-character shit. But that's a discussion for another day. Back to this episode. It's brilliant and takes Star Trek to a place that Roddenberry would not have been very happy with. Norman Buckwald says, This episode is almost flawless, minus one thing. Can't Avery Brooks just tone himself down a little bit? People are dying. I remember, I actually like that scene where he says people are yeah, dying. Yeah, I thought he was fairly restrained for the most part. That, that, yeah, that, that's my favorite scene that he does. Uh, it's in the middle somewhere. It's like 10 minutes in. 
what if what if after the guy goes it's a fake he had been he had, he had gone, what do you mean it's a fake <laughs> it's just them screaming at each other <laughs> i know i remember I'm back sorry. i remember back in the day i got spoiled reading star trek news sites that leaked about beta z although i was surprised maybe with relief that they weren't to follow up with there wasn't a follow up with Loxana and odo episode this is the episode that finally demonstrates clearly, even with good intentions, that Garrick can never be trusted. Still, still, Garrick's odd absence, at least from the ending, of Inquisition was disappointing. In fact, heh, does Bashir ever share Section 31 with Garrick? Well, it probably wouldn't have been the other way around, Garrick bringing it up to Bashir and knowing about it. And since I've missed my opportunity, let me say Inquisition is actually one of my favorite episodes and probably the only other one besides Ship in a Bottle where Deceptive Holodeck as reality episode worked. Only nit is it would have been nice if something about Bashir was more consistent rather than only just this episode mentioning scones. That's, uh, you, you, sorry, Norman, you're going on for a little bit. Yeah, you're giving him a lot of latitude on, <laughs> on getting into the bar for the last episode. <laughs> I'm going to skip ahead. Uh, back to the pale moonlight. I kept waiting for the biometric gel to have some serious repercussions. Learning about the absolute true price, even more than the other fans were expecting Romulans to find Cisco out. Even more than other fans were expecting Romulans to find Cisco out. I was disappointed that the there was no show that featured a price paid. I would have picked something related to the biometric gel. It's true. The gel does not really. It's just for Bashir I, to get all very upset about Cisco. Yeah, I, I wish they had cut to a guy re- receiving that 85 gallons of biometric gel and then just like using it to style his hair. <laughs> it's... um. Yeah, because what what do they imply the episode? You can use it to clone people. I think is what they. they were yeah, saying you can about. do a lot of shit with it. You can make bio 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 weapons, bombs, and shit. Yeah, J- seems a- very useful. Yes, <laughs> and and also for how dangerous it is, Bashir has a lot of the stuff. Mm. He's just got a huge closet full of biometric gel. Yeah. In the pale moonlight from Jay Ayers, Garrick has a significant role in an ep- whenever Garrick has a significant role in an episode, you know shit is about to go down. Cisco's personal mission to bring the Romulans into the war highlights his relaxed attitude to Starfleet protocols by the fact he brings in Garrick, someone who was a spy, an assassin, a saboteur, and not long ago was willing to commit genocide against the Changelings and plunge the Federation into war. So the fact that several people end up dead and Cisco seems surprised is hilarious. A truly great episode, five out of five. You know, just to jump back for a second, I, I, I think, you know... I think Garrick proved that you can trust him because he did exactly what he was supposed. Yeah, he was he, said he was going to do. He, he, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't take the. Uh, he didn't take the map quest route that you had printed out for him. But uh, he, he got, got there. He got you there. Yeah, he got to the McDonald's at the very. I, this is a look, the scene where Cisco backhands him and Garrick yells at him. Garrick is totally truthful for one of the yeah. f- one of the few times in the series. Like he is actually talking about how he felt, what he thought needed to be done, and there's no sort of bullshit mixed in with it. Mm-hmm. Kyle Barrett says, I'm afraid this episode for me is a victim of hearing so much acclaim towards it before I watched it for the first time that when I did get around to it, I couldn't help but be a little bit disappointed. But I still think it's pretty fantastic and a bold move for the franchise. Maybe the most DS9 DS9 ever gets in the quintessential Cisco episode with it playing into all of Brooks's strengths. A five out of five for sure, and one of the best of the series, but it's not one of my very favorites. Matthew Ross says, Sublimely devious and one of the best DS9 episodes of the entire series. Arguably, Section 31 should have been doing this. Cisco's complicity in the intrigue is his ultimate reverse from his character's beginning. Now the ultimate patriot ready to lie, cheat, and kill to ensure the Alpha Quadrant's survival. But the real star, in my opinion, is Garrick. Although Garrick is only in a few scenes, there is no doubt that he's the ultimate puppet master. Just as patriotic only... 
just as patriotic, only more able to act with sinister intent. In this episode, the loss of the Federation and allies feels real. The Romulans' observation that the allies' losses and the Dominion's advances are very chilling, and you realize that the good guys are close to losing. Visually, the Romulan ship landing in front of the runabout I thought was well-conceived. And in the end, the moral right, uh, moral right way has a bit of wrong. What price does one pay to save one's way of life? One senator, one forger, and some self-respect of a Starfleet captain who's willing to sacrifice his personal beliefs for a greater good. You know, that's kind of funny. Uh, it does kind of bring up an interesting nitpick that that is definitely a why didn't they dot, dot, dot kind of nitpick that you could go to if you were really missing the point of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Where's the yeah. time warp, Clive? Where's the goddamn time warp? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because yeah, technically how this should have gone is, um, Cisco goes to Starfleet and tells him the plan and then Starfleet goes, yeah, we will put section 31 on that right away. You know, like that's the entire point. Like we, you said, that's the entire point of section 31 is to do shit like this. So why are they just letting Cisco fuck around with Gary? Right. Yeah. They should be like, (laughs) we, we have a, uh, we have a group for this. You met them actually. You know, you know what my big, um, I don't think it's a plot hole, but like the thing that I always wonder about actually is mm. um so Cisco tries to trick the Romulan senator, right? He leaves in a huff and he flies off to his meeting at that other planet. Two days later, he blows up. He for some reason the senator never reports back to Romulus that yeah. the Federation tried to trick him with a fake. Right. right. Which is strange, but whatever. They also they also said that he was coming from where his meeting was supposed to be when it blew up. Right. So he went to the meeting. He made it to the meeting. Yeah. He goes to the meeting and then he leaves and then he blows up. So, yeah, I mean, if you would have to assume that at the very least he told Wayun that this shit happened. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe. I mean, I think you could probably hand wave that away being like, well, he's, they're not on the side of the dominion. So he's keeping that shit close to his chest and, he didn't want to relay it back in case someone intercepted the blah, blah. You know, I don't know. You could make something up. You could. It's clearly not important because I, right, I right. It, actually, in my mind's memory, I remember the episode. He, Cisco does that. And as the Romulan shuttle is leaving the station, it blows up just like a that's few minutes later. Yeah, that's what it seems like is what happens until they actually talk about exactly what happened. Like right. the, 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 the action feels like that's what it is until they say otherwise. Neil Brennan, final comments. How good is this episode? I don't even begrudge it. The over the top, it's a fake. No one does. No one. Be, no one. No one begrudges anything like that. <laughs> Thank you, patrons, for leaving your comments about in the pale moonlight. There was a lot of them, so we had to get through them quickly. I apologize for my uh, poor reading skills, as it's ten thirty at night and we are tired. But thank you for leaving your patron comments. Thank you for uh, watching in the pale moonlight with us. So, Clay, what are you going to give this one on our scale of one to five? Hard to. Hard to. It's a pretty clear cut too, wouldn't you say? Yeah. yeah. I mean, why? No, why amazing. two days later the guy isn't Doctor Romulus yet? Yeah, I mean, come on. You man. kidding me? You, you know, was this amateur did, no, did nobody edit this script? Or what? <laughs> did, did, did anyone read Jesus this Christ. before we shoot it? Uh, no, it's a it's a five, obviously. Top top uh, top ten DS nine for you? Yeah, I think so. Top five. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think the the ones that really stand out to me are are, are clear standouts that really take the concept and, and really wring everything out of it that they can, and I think this is definitely one of those. 
I kind of agree with um, Kyle's comments about it. it. I think it's a very good episode, but it's not one of my favorite DS9 episodes uh, for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Um, I would still put Duet and The Visitor ahead of this one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, see, I, I was only okay with The Visitor, yeah, so I would put yeah. this ahead of that. Would you put Duet ahead of this one? Um, my first instinct is yes, but it's been so long since I've, I've only watched it once. So I'd have to go back and watch it again. Yeah. 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 I, I think my order would go something at this point, just for people who care about this thing. It would be something like, um, visitor duet, and then maybe rocks and shoal. This is probably better than rocks and shoal. So it'd be, it'd probably be in the three spot. Um, unless I think about it a little bit more and come up with something else, but that's it. I think it's a great episode. I think it's a five out of five. It is the show's thesis statement i think which is why it's remembered as the most popular ds9 episode Mm. um this is if you were to pick an episode from each series i think you'd do something like corbinite maneuver for tos or something like that and tngs would be darmok or something uh Mm -hmm. this is kind of what defines ds9 i think and that's why it's a uh, an episode that people tend to stick with let's see anything else do you have anything you want to say clay uh nope kickstarter's still going this is going out tomorrow right this goes out monday oh monday okay never mind we got a couple days uh yeah kickstarter's still going uh we just passed eighteen thousand, which is uh uh pretty amazing maybe that'll be old and news by the time this pops I, up yeah i hope 20. so yeah. yeah um and this is also old news but i'm gonna be putting up a badass related uh reward tier i think friday so too bad if it's already gone by the time you hear this. <laughs> I don't think it'll be gone, but but uh, uh, keep your eyes open for it. Yeah, and thanks again to everyone who threw in. Yeah, thank you very much for supporting the Kickstarter. You guys can uh, support the show. Oh, but if you want to, if you want to, if you haven't and you'd like to check it out, you can find it at bloodyhell.com, B-L-O-O-D-Y-H-E-L.com. Yep, you can support Clay's uh, comic Kickstarter, graphic novel Kickstarter. Um, that's a, that's an interesting, is, is comic ever a... Um, insulting term no no i uh yeah no i don't have a problem with it yeah i I, think the term graphic novel was only invented because uh the new york times wanted a wanted a a word to be able to put on their bestseller list essentially (laughs) although as far as i'm concerned the 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 difference is a comic book is something that comes out uh monthly and a graphic novel is something that is one complete book. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think of graphic novel, the complete story is in a graphic novel. Um, yeah. Kind of implied by the term novel, I suppose there. Is comic short for something? No. No? Okay. Nope. Just comic book. All right. We're, yep. we're learning things, people, at the end of the episode. You can follow the, uh, the show on all the social media down below, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I have an Instagram now. I found a way to automate Instagram. So it sends out pictures of Star Trek all the time. It's fantastic. You guys can go there and check that out. Um, Patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to go there and support the show, a couple dollars a month. It's very, very helpful. And that's it, Clay. We're done within the pale moonlight. It's all downhill yeah. from here. There is no I can't, greater you know, episode. The, the way that they've really stepped the game up, I can only imagine that it's going to follow into the next episode. I mean, it, there must be something really heavy happening in the next episode, right? Like something really morally gray and just like really ethically juicy and definitely not something involving a hologram projection of a lounge singer. Uh, well, you've obviously looked ahead, but there is Vegas. Vegas is involved. So um, 
Great. More Vegas, nothing more morally gray than Las Vegas. <laughs> that, that's, that's exactly what you were going for. After killing a couple people, what stays in Vegas stays in Vegas, I think, is what Cisco learns. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll be surprised. I think you'll be surprised by this upcoming episode, actually. Um, okay. You'll be surprised by the character that they create for it anyway. Is it Joe Piscopo again? It's not Joe Piscopo, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it's Vic Vega. Uh, not Vic Vega. What the, what the, Vic Fontaine. Vic Fontaine. Tarantino movies? <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. Mike, Michael Madsen off. cutting people's ears off? <laughs> uh, he cuts off quarks because it's easiest to do. Um, we're done. Thank you guys very much. We've talked about this one for a long time. You will be back with... It's called His Way, right? Are you looking at it, Clay? I think the episode is called His Way. I, I saw it earlier. I just saw a little... Do, do, do. It's called His Way. Yes, that's right. So we'll be back with His Way in a couple days. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show, and we'll see you later. 